Welcome to the Here She Is podcast, where we talk to leaders of all genders about how women can reach their full potential. Here She Is was founded by three sisters, Julia, Sarah and Ronja Wagner, who are based out of Silicon Valley, Brussels and Munich. Today's interview is led by me, Sarah. I'm interviewing Cecilia Malmström, a Swedish politician who has served as European Commissioner for Trade since 2014. In her function as Trade Commissioner, she's representing the EU in the World Trade Organization and other international trade fora and negotiates bilateral trade agreements between the EU and third countries. In our conversation, we talk about the challenges she has been facing as Commissioner, what role the EU should play in today's changing world and how we can empower women through internet. I just want to do a one-minute lightning question round. Firstly, do you tend to live in the present, in the past or in the future? In the present. What do you miss about your childhood? I had a very good childhood. I think about it as happy. I, I don't think I... No, I, I don't Okay. anything. Do you have any superstitions? No, not really, actually. And what's on your bucket list for this year? A longer vacation. I can imagine. Because I end this job, uh, not a vacation like on a beach, but, but some time off just for myself, when there will be nothing written in my calendar, when I can wake up and see, hmm, what shall I do today? Lunch with a friend? Which is very understandable because yes. you have been the Commission of Trade since 2014. Yes, and I've been here in Brussels for 20 years, more or less, so yeah. So I was, I was wondering, looking back, when you um, think back, uh, when you took on this responsibility in the first place, what is something that you would have liked to know back then? I was not really aware, because at that time I worked as a commissioner for Home Affairs. I was very you know, deep into migration, fight against terrorism, trafficking. Uh, so when I started to look at, at uh, trade, I was not really conscious at that time how much of a public concern this just began to be five years ago. Uh, I mean, the first weeks of my mandate, we had demonstrations every day. Uh, and I did not really realize that, you know, it was such a hot topic. Uh, you seem to have managed very well, though, because when we look at the numbers, uh, we can see that the European Commission has negotiated and concluded more trade agreements than in any comparable period. Yes, we did. And we all, I mean, we not only did that, but we also changed the paradigm on how we negotiate. Because the, fi the fact that there were so many people demonstrating that this was such a topic, you know, that, oh, everybody won were very critical about TTIP. You will remember that from your home country. You're German, no? Yeah, from your home country. And some other countries forced us to think, how do we do these trade negotiations? Because people obviously wanted to be involved. So we tried to involve people. We invited them in. We listened to them. We set up you know, permanent advisory groups. Uh, we, we made sure that, that we increased transparency. We have now 6,000 documents online. Uh, and, and we published basically everything we do on trade. I started to travel all around the European Union. We done citizens' dialogue, hundreds of meetings. I visited, is it 40 national parliaments on different levels and regional parliaments and so on in order to and, you know, tell people that, you know, If you have questions, I'll be happy to answer you. Uh, there's nothing, you know, secret or, or, or evil about trade. But, but so a successful negotiation process is all about transparency, or what else makes a successful negotiation? Well, transparency is important in order to get, to get the trust of the stakeholders. And that is everything from business to environmental organizations to the ordinary citizens. Uh, so that transparency is important. Um, when you negotiate with others... 
maybe they don't immediately appreciate that you publish <laughs> everything, but but there, I mean, it depends on who you negotiated with. But I think it's very important that you you know you you set up uh, the goals. You are very clear on your red lines. You don't change in the meantime. You try to build confidence with, with even if you disagree on certain issues. That you know try to build. A, confidential partnership with the one who you negotiated. So how do you influence people? How do you find a common denominator? Well, the common denominator is that we want to get a trade agreement done. So, uh, that's why we're in the room. Uh, so you have to identify what are their you know, really must-haves or their absolute red lines and be very clear about your own. Uh, and then from there you can, you know, you can, can move forward. Of course, a trade negotiation is uh, something that takes years and years. And I don't do every, you know, I, I come in at these critical junctures and, and at the end, but, but the, the sort of preparatory work and the first chapters and the more technical work is done by, by a, a very large and, and competent team for, from my side. You have just said the world has changed, trade has changed a lot. So I wonder how can the Europeans ensure that they have greater and really also sustainable influence in today's world? Well, that's a tricky question because uh, things are, are, are changing, but uh, I think citizens want to have uh, influence. And um, first, of course, we must try, as policymakers, as politicians, we must try to be very honest and transparent with them, tell them what we do, and make it, not everybody wants to follow, but if they want to follow the trade negotiations with, say, Australia, they should know how to do that. They can click in, they can follow, they can say, aha, uh -huh, okay, here I can know more. Or they can trust that journalists like you will follow, and if there's anything, you know, you would write about this. Um, so that's building trust vis-a-vis -vis the citizens. Otherwise, we must make sure that, that as Europeans, we stand up in these times, and that goes for trade, but it also goes for all kinds of international relations in the, in the global world, that we stand up for multilateralism, for international rules, for the world global order that we built together with the Americans, after the Second World War. I mean, they had NATO, we had IMF, we had World Bank, we had a lot of international conventions, we had GATT, which became WTO. We had all these different rule-based cooperation, where we said, we'll sit around a table and we'll try to solve it in a civilized matter. And today, all that is shaking. And would you say this is the biggest challenge that you have had over the, the past years to kind of reconstruct yes. the system? Or yeah, yes, and, and we, we, we haven't reconstructed it yet. I mean, we're still working on this because, of course, Europe stands very firm in sticking to multilateral rules and games, and we have lots of allies, and we are consolidating these alliances with our trade agreements as well. But, I mean, China is going their own way, and U.S. have clearly expressed that this administration has no real, you know, um, does not really favor the multilateral way. They do it their own way. Uh, so it's extreme. And, uh, so WTO is under threat, for instance, and many of the international, I mean, everything from, from the Iran agreement to, to the um, disarmament agreement to, to all kinds of, of um, international uh, organizations where they sort of step down their, their own or withdraw. Paris agreement of the climate now, today is the climate week in, in the whole world and especially in the United Nations. And of course, with, with a big power like the United States withdraws from the Paris agreement, then we're in trouble. Moving on to the topic of women and trade, you are organizing a conference mm -hmm. next week on the 30th of September. And let me be the devil's advocate, why do we even need such a conference? Well, you could of course ask that, but that is one way, I mean it's not the only way, but it's one way to highlight this topic. Because what we found, and what I've found when I travel around and talk to a lot of people, is that we must make sure that trade benefits everybody. So my, my first sort of policy document was trade for all. And women do not benefit from global trade as much as men. There are gaps there. 
both in Europe, where we see that, that, that uh, around 36% uh, million jobs in Europe are related to exports outside the European Union. And only 15 million of them are filled by women. And yet we know that, that they, you know, they could be, be, be higher. I mean, many, many, um, uh, many ways we hear anecdotal evidence that women can't engage in the same way in trade that would like to. There are obstacles. If you look at the global world, I mean, some countries, women cannot even take a bank loan. They're not allowed. Or they can't start a company or they can't drive a car. I mean, then it's hard to, to, to do that. Uh, but even, I mean, th these are maybe extreme uh, versions, but, but, but even in many other countries, it, it is, there are bigger obstacles for women. But when women do engage in trade, uh, you can see that, that the benefits of that trickles down to the whole community, because women invest in their children, in their families, in education, so it's a way of fighting poverty. So there is a gap there what women would like to do and how the world would improve economically, of course, it's a moral thing as well, but it's also an economic thing, that, that women, if they contribute uh, to, to the global economy to, to a larger extent, we would be better off. And what are the reasons for this law? But this numbers? is what we're trying to, to find out. As I say, in some countries there's a law, of course. Uh, there also, there seems to be discrimination when it comes to uh, getting access to loans, getting um, access to... Um, childcare uh, provisions uh, to, to the same extent, there seems to be uh, discrimination when it comes to public procurement contracts. Because if you anonymize the, uh, the tender, the one who asks for public procurement, then women get much more than if, if there's a name there. So there are studies that prove women need to see an impact. Often they choose an occupation mm -hmm. according the, to the impact that mm -hmm. they can make. What impact could women do in, in trade? Well, of course, I mean, if they have an idea or a product or a service that they want to sell, they, you know, they will offer that to people who want to buy it. So that, that, that is an impact. But they, as I said, they also make a, a bigger impact because women invest their money in, in a broader way, in a broader community. So, so it's a way of fighting poverty and it's a way of, of, uh, of promoting development. Um, and also, I mean, in Europe, we have the best educated housewives in the world, meaning that many, if you want to stay at home, fine. I mean, that is your choice. But if you don't want to, but you feel that there are obstacles that hinders you from entering into trade or any other business, we should, as policymakers, you know, be responsible of taking them away so that women can fulfill their dreams if they want to. There was one study showing that, um, was that from the World Bank? You said that if, if women engaged in, in a, the a global economy as much as men, I mean, we would increase the global GDP with 48 billion Dollars? Trillions. Trillion dollars, yeah. Trillions. So it's an economic uh, way as well. And also, I mean, the world is a better place when, when you know, policymakers, people with influence come from, you know, both men and, and women. So apart from the conference, what else is the EU doing to promote gender and trade? Well, this conference is, of course, not only symbolic. The conference is, is a follow-up from a conference two years ago where we asked, we listened, and then there was a need, we need more data because everybody can tell a story, you know? And that's fine and interesting, but you need to have more systemic data to, in order to do that. So at this conference, lots of, of more data will be presented from UNCTAD, from OECD, and a study we have asked the International Trade Centre to present as well. Uh, so from that we can give some, some advice. Uh, but we have also started to you know, really put our gender glasses on and, and I've forced my, my people at DG Trade to, to have that uh, aspect on. So with, for instance, we are um, working with the individual countries because there you need the partner country to, to agree to have chapters or sections 
on um, uh, women and trade. We have that with Chile and we'll have it with New Zealand. You know, see how, how can we work together to make sure that this beautiful trade agreement, once it's done, also benefits women. We are working with a lot of other countries in the world uh, to, to, um, because in Buenos Aires two years ago, there was a global uh, WTO at the ministerial at, uh, at uh, Buenos Aires. Um, I think 120 countries or so signed up. So we committed ourselves to the next ministerial, which will happen in June next year, to try to, to do things that we could report to each other. So we have been promoting uh, women in, in uh, e-commerce, for instance. We've had some workshops and trainings in Geneva with other WTO members, but also in other parts of the world. Uh, we are summoning these studies as well, and we have, uh, we have enough evidence to know that women are mainly engaged in small and medium-sized companies. So we are putting a lot of focus on that in our trade negotiations to facilitate for, for small and medium-sized companies because that will indirectly also benefit the women. In, in, the, um, uh, in the Japanese agreement, for instance, that entered into force the 1st of February, we have a specific chapter where we say that together we will facilitate for women, set up contact points, you know, specified web pages and to facilitate for them. And we have that in other trade agreements that we're negotiating and we have agreed also with Canada. We're going to have a chapter on that because it, it's an old agreement now. Uh, but we have, you know, we agreed on a ministerial level that we will do different events to try to promote. And how do we make sure these commitments are also implemented? Well, you know, we, we have regular evaluations and, and we, we talk to each other and we, we, we report. Because it's not legal obligations yes. li li like that. But, but, you know, we take stock on what have you done, what have I done, and then, oh, that's a good idea. I mean, it's, it's more of a dynamic um, sharing of, of, of ideas. And also, because it's, it's quite uncharted water. So, so uh, you know, we need to find the ways that work the best without, uh, and then some countries have their own quotas and so on, but, but, but you know, more of how can we reach out uh, to women, how can we uh, make sure that their experience and their knowledge is, is taken, you know, taking into account the best way. And the conference, I mean, it's one conference, but still, it comes people from all over the world, you've seen the programme, hopefully will give us some new ideas on how to work on this, and then I hope, of course, that the new commissioner will, will continue to work uh, in this direction, and so we can follow it up again. So, Commissioner, you're Swedish, yes, uh, a country that is very advanced with regard to gender diversity. Um, what do you think could the European Union or even the world learn from Sweden? Childcare policy, which allows also men to be at home. Uh, I think if, if men are given the opportunity uh, to stay at home when their children are very, very small, they become better parents. Uh, and. Uh, it becomes natural when you ask your employer that I have to take some month off because I'm having a baby. It's not only the mother, but the father is also a father. Uh, and and that, 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 I think, uh, is probably the most uh, important thing you can do to make sure that, that both parents can, and then individual families so it how they want, of course, mm -hmm. but both, both families can if they want to, and the legislation will you know, back you up, and there's also economic compensation. Uh, to, to take care of parental leave when the children are small. That's probably the most important thing. Fantastic. Thank because you. that also creates a bigger tolerance. Uh, if, you know, if, even if the bosses do it, say, well, I'll take six months off because we just had a baby, a male boss, then you know, it trickles down and say, okay, if he can, I can do it as well. You know? But it's still a long way to go, and we still have challenges. And we still have not. We're the only country in, in the Nordics who never had a female prime minister. Indeed, we still <laughs> so there's still a lot of work to do, and hence there is still a lot to do, and we still need to encourage women. We need more female role models. So I always like to end um, with the question, the following question: 
what call to action do you have? What final recommendation would you have to, to both the men and women out there listening? You must stand up to your rights. You should not just, you know, you should fight for, for, for your rights. And that goes for men, men as well. And uh, we need a lot of women networks all over the world. I've been part of many. I still promote a lot of others. I try to support younger women. But we must make sure that we also broaden them to engage with, with progressive men. Because there are lots of men. Many men have helped me in my career. You know, selfishly, uh, in, in, a, in, a, you know, in a way where I wouldn't be where I am without a lot of really good men who have seen my potential, who pushed me and who say, yes, yeah, you can, you can. No, no, I can. Yeah, you can. So, so you, we need to work, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with all progressive uh, forces, uh, in in order to do that. So, female networks are great. It's a great source of, you know, inspiration and sometimes comfort and and a way. But you need also to make sure to identify uh, good men out there who can help you and who can promote you. Thank oh, you very so much. Okay. And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And join our Here She Is email list. You can look forward to more female, male, and transgender interviewees. Until soon. And in the meantime, think big, act bold, and beware of bias.